Well, we are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, so you can turn there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13 is our text. Now, I'll go ahead and at the beginning and tell you we're going to be in a few other places as well. So if you have a few pieces of paper or bookmarks, we're going to be traveling back and forth from the Old Testament back to this passage in 1 Corinthians 10. So there are a few places you can mark. There is Exodus chapter 32 you can mark. There is uh, Numbers chapter 11 you can mark. Got those? Exodus 32, Numbers 11, um, Numbers 25, and uh, Deuteronomy 32. We're going to be looking at uh, some passages in each of those places. So it might be helpful to you if you're not a quick turner, if you didn't have Bible drill, it might be helpful to you to get back and forth. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13 is our text. Well, an old uh, Spanish philosopher uh, said something that's become kind of a common saying in our time. Those who fail to learn history are doomed to repeat it. You've heard that before, right? Those who fail to learn history are doomed to repeat it. It's true of history on a broader scale when it comes to nations and wars and politics. We can recognize this is true, uh, that, that things happen in patterns sometimes. People who uh, made huge mistakes, costly errors that had huge consequences are made again some several hundred years later, right? Well, it's true also, we can recognize the truth of this in our own individual lives, in our families, that if we don't learn from our mistakes, from our sins, and the consequences that followed, we're doomed to do it again. We're doomed to repeat those same sins or mistakes. So, just as an aside, and you might think this is kind of moralistic, but I think it's just good wisdom. Kids, learn from your mistakes. Learn from your sins. Don't let them go to waste. And also, listen to your parents. Because often what they're telling you uh, is wisdom which comes from their own sins and their own mistakes. They've already lived it. They've already seen how messed up things can get. And so they are seeking to spare you from those consequences. And so we recognize that this is truth. Those who fail to learn from your past are doomed to repeat it. And it's not because every situation is the same either. It's rather because human nature is the same from age to age. Think of how you've been plagued with some of the same sins that you were plagued with 10 or 20 years ago. Covetousness or greed or just kind of a, a, a selfishness sometimes. Gossip, envy, pride, anger. I mean, we, we repeat these over and over. We're, we're hard-headed sometimes, aren't we? And it, it seems like the Corinthians were hard-headed as well. In the previous section in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul gave his own example of how to live in covenant faithfulness with God, being a servant of all, remember, laying down his rights for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. And in these verses, Paul gives a different example. You should follow Paul's example, he says. Now, this example of the Israelites, don't do these things. Don't follow their example. This is a, a bad example. Israel, too, was hard-hearted. See these patterns. Uh, the scripture often calls them stiff-necked. You are a stiff-necked people, always rebelling against the Lord. And what we see in our passage is the sad 
bitterly sad story that although God rescued his people, they responded in idolatry, in ingratitude. They were faithless. And yet we see that God is always faithful. Look at our text with me. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Your word is more precious than silver and gold. More precious than much fine gold. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see it as such. Give us eyes to see Jesus. Give us ears to hear your word and believe all that it says. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The truth of this passage is that because God has saved us, we must flee from idolatry. In other words, because God has rescued us, we must worship him alone. Not turning to the left or to the right. Not turning and placing our faith in any other person or any other thing ultimately, but in Christ alone. And this jibes exactly with what God told the Israelites after he rescued them from Egypt, right? We remember in Exodus chapter 20 that the the Lord says, uh, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, rescued them from slavery, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes on, as we know, the the Ten Commandments. So he explains the, the indicative. Here's what has happened. Here are the facts of the situation. I have saved you by my mercy. Now, in grateful response, live for my glory alone. Paul points back to the Israelites as the example. He says, brothers and sisters, these are our fathers. Notice that. Paul saw the church of God throughout time and history as the family of God. And so the Israelites are the fathers of the Corinthian believers. And you know what else? They are our fathers as well. See, this is not just 
history. It's not just a story in the Bible. This is our story if we are believers. This is our story. These are our fathers. This is the story of our, our spiritual history as brothers and sisters in Christ. God saved his people from slavery in Egypt, and he had promised to do so to Abraham 400 years previous to that. He had said this would happen. He brought down great plagues upon the Egyptians who would not let God's people go so that they might escape. But God didn't just throw the doors open of the prison and leave these people to themselves. No, he continued to bless them. He continued to sustain them. So look at the blessings that God continued to shower upon his people. First, we'll look at God's saving work, his redemptive blessings. We see five blessings here that the Israelites received because they were a part of the covenant community. Notice the all that is repeated throughout these verses. They all received these things. It was a mixed group of people, unbelieving, rebellious uh, people that were in the covenant community, but also the faithful remnant who continued to trust God and did not turn to uh, idolatry. But they all received these blessings. They all received blessings from God because of His mercy. They were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They were protected and guided by God as He uh, made Himself manifest in the cloud, in the wilderness. He went before them. He he guarded them. Uh, They passed through the sea. Do you remember? The Israelites were trapped as they were running from Egypt. And Moses at the word of the Lord, stuck out his staff and the waters parted and the people walked through on dry land and the waves crashed in on the Egyptians. God rescued them. They received this blessing from God, not because they deserved it, but because of the mercy of God. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Moses was their leader and more than that, he was their mediator. Their go-between between them and uh, God. He pleaded on their behalf consistently over and over again. God blessed them by giving them Moses. They all ate the same spiritual food. Here we think of the manna that God provided miraculously. We think of the the meat, the birds that he provided for them to eat because they complained about the manna. We'll see that in a little bit. All drank the same spiritual drink, the water from the rock that miraculously flowed as the people were thirsty. So in all these things, God saved, sustained, and stayed with His people. In other words, these are the blessings of rescue, of provision, and of presence. God was with them. And you can't overlook verse 4, can you? Does that just stick out to you as what in the world is going on here? He says, for they all drank from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Jewish thought at the time of Paul's writing, at least some Jews thought, that God not only gave his people water from the rock, but they also gave, he also gave them a well which followed them wherever they went. So at the beginning of uh, the people's journey, there was this rock flowing with water flowing out. And then at the end of their journey, another rock is mentioned that flowed uh, with water for the people to sustain them. And yet Paul uses this idea and transforms it with Christ at the center. 
What is it that saved them? What is it that sustained them throughout their wilderness journeys? Was it a rock? Was it the water? Was it um, a mobile well that followed them wherever they went? No, ultimately it was Christ who saved them. It was Christ who rescued them. Christ who was sustaining them every step of their way throughout their wilderness journeys. Christ was present with them in these journeys. So take note of this. As you read the Bible, we can have a tendency to think, okay, I'm going to read the New Testament because Jesus is here. And we don't recognize that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is present throughout all of history. That He was there in the beginning when all things were created. That the Son created with the Father and the Spirit all things that have come to pass. And that he's been present with his people. We see it right here that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was present with his people through their wilderness journeys. As we think about these blessings, an image comes to my mind of a, a, a dog nursing her little puppies. I had a, a dog when I was younger named Bessie Sue. She was like a black lab mix. And she basically, my, for my brother and and me was she was our best friend she would follow us wherever we'd go go out in the woods and she'd be there with us always and trying to protect us and things like that but one of my most vivid memories is when she had puppies and how her entire demeanor changed with those puppies she was so protective so caring over those puppies as they nursed from her she sustained them she protected them she always wanted to be with them to care for them and to make sure that they were secure such a beautiful picture and really such a beautiful picture of god's care for his people he nourishes us he sustains us he saves us he is with us wherever we go so brothers and sisters consider in your own life this blessing of god how God has blessed you, how he has nourished and sustained you, how he has saved you. Paul's aim here is not simply for us to think about the Israelites and how God ministered and blessed them. He wants us to think about how God has ministered to us and blessed us by his grace, that we might see how richly God has blessed us. So the Israelites were under the cloud and through the sea, and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and He is present with us. He has saved us by His sheer mercy and grace. The Israelites were baptized into Moses, their leader, their mediator. We have been baptized into Christ, our perfect mediator. The Israelites ate spiritual food. We eat the bread of the Lord's Supper, the one loaf that is broken and divided amongst us. We, one body in Christ, receiving nourishment as we partake in faith. The Israelites drank spiritual drink, and we drink the cup of the Lord's Supper, being nourished as we consider the gospel in his broken body and poured out blood for us. These are some of the blessings of God which we partake of week in and week out. And yet don't think that because you've received certain blessings, because you're being close to the covenant community, means that God is automatically pleased with you. In other words, proximity to the things of God doesn't necessarily mean God's pleasure over you. Being familiar with the things of God, being familiar with the Bible, 
Being familiar with these outward blessings that we receive from him is not a guarantee that God is pleased with you. And this is clear because Paul is giving us this example for that exact reason. Despite God's blessing on the Israelites, what does it say? Nonetheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Why not? Well, we turn now from God's blessings to Israel's response. And we could label it Israel's idolatrous response. Look at verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. That we might not desire evil as they did. Uh, Another term your Bible might have, which is um, essentially the meaning of this, that, that we might not crave evil. That we might not be cravers of evil. Now this is one of the Old Testament passages that Paul likely has in mind here. Numbers chapter 11. So remember you tagged this in your Bible. Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, where people craved evil. So I'm going to read Numbers 11, verses 1 through 6 first. And then we'll also see verse 19 and 34. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his Anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. God had provided them manna from heaven. And they're complaining, I wish we could go back to Egypt and have this food that we had, this meat we're craving after meat. And as an an aside, look at verse 19. Sometimes God gives us what we ask for. Verse 19, just previous to that, Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord. You have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying why did we come out of Egypt sometimes the Lord gives us what we foolishly crave and he gives it to us and it becomes loathsome it becomes sort of a judgment to us and uh, the author here is saying or the Lord is saying this isn't just about food you are you are not trusting in me to give you what you need I have provided for you, and now you are craving after something which I haven't given you. You're craving after something I have not provided. The, the end of Numbers chapter 11 has the same word, number, Numbers 11, verse 32. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out before themselves all around the camp. And while the meat was 
Yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hata'ava, or, in other words, Graves of Craving. Because there they buried the people who had the craving. And from the graves of craving, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. In Numbers 11, the people of God, the Israelites, craved after food other than what God had provided. And in Exodus 32, another place, you remember the story of the golden calf, they craved something more than what God had given them in, a, in kind of a different form. And there's a close connection with Numbers 11 and Exodus uh, 32. It's a, there's a wordplay in these passages of sitting down and rising up. They sat down and they rose up. And we, we see this word in verse 7 in Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 10. And this is one of the reasons we think. This is what Paul is thinking of. He, he's brilliantly connecting, weaving these connections from the Old Testament back to the current circumstance of the Corinthians. He's saying, this is not such a foreign uh, thing. This is not such a foreign circumstance. You are in a similar way to them. These words lead right into Paul's words in verse 7. You see that in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is the first of four prohibitions that Paul gives to the Corinthians. Don't do these things like they did. Be on guard. This is why they are, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. This is why they died and were laid low throughout the wilderness. The first prohibition is do not be idolaters. So look at Exodus 32, 1 through 10. Exodus 32, verses 1 through 10. This is a familiar story for many of you. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, remember he was up speaking to, to God. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of the gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This really serves as a, a pattern or a paradigm for Israel's behavior throughout the Old Testament. This is characteristic of the Israelite people, that they would go after other gods, that they would fall away, that they would form for themselves idols, that they would feast before, that they would worship. And notice the, the, the parallels, again, with the Corinthian church and what they're um, experiencing eating feasts in the idols, the temples of idols. 
they're saying, well, there's nothing behind that, so it's okay if we partake in this. Paul is drawing these connect these connections between the Old Testament and them. Second prohibition in verse 8, do not indulge in sexual immorality. Turn to Numbers 25, verses 1 through 5. Numbers 25, 1 through 5. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab, sexual immorality. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. You see the similarities again. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. Look on down to verses 8 and 9. The plague, thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. There's these connections of food and idolatry, of sexual immorality. And what were the consequences each time the Israelites participated in these things? Judgment. Consequences for their sins. Now, over 20,000 people, can you imagine this? 9-11 which happened in 2001, was the worst terrorist attack that has happened on American soil. Over 2,000 people, almost 3,000 people died that day. How horrific is this? 3,000 Americans losing their lives. And and yet this dwarfs that number. Over 20,000 people, their bodies laying in the wilderness because of their sin of idolatry. The judgment of God fell upon them. Verse 9, the third prohibition, do not put Christ to the test. Flip back a couple pages in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 7. Remember, they were complaining about food. Again, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 7. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. So that many of people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Consequences of sin, judgment of sin, and yet he provides mercy for those who would look to him. And the final uh, prohibition is in verse 10. Do not grumble as many did and were destroyed by the destroyer. I'm not sure exactly what reference he's making to here, but throughout 
their wilderness wanderings, we see them grumbling about the food, about their circumstances, about how God has pulled them out of Egypt only as far as they're concerned, to die in the wilderness. We see a, a, an example, uh, a summary of these things in Deuteronomy chapter 32. In the Song of Moses. Turn there, Deuteronomy 32. And really, uh, Moses is repeating the words of this song and he is giving witness to the Israel's rebelliousness, to their faithlessness. He says, I want everybody to hear this, of your faithfulness. Look in particular at verses 10 through 18. He, f- he found him, Israel, in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, the blessings of God. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. And he suckled with him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milks from the flock, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, with the very finest of wheat, and you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God, who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Can you believe they would respond in that way? Can you believe they would receive all of his blessings and then respond by rejecting him, by worshiping other gods? How ungrateful are they? We can't stand ungratefulness, can we? Unbelievable. But aren't we tempted in this way as well? Don't we find ourselves in moments of weakness ungrateful for the blessings of God? You remember the movie, the old movie, Willy Wonka and the, Chol- uh, the Chocolate Factory. Well, it's, it's said of Veruca Salt that she was a bad egg. Do you remember her? Veruca Salt. Her father was wealthy. He had everything he needed. He could provide anything for his daughter, and he did exactly that. Whenever she, she said she wanted something, he gave it to her immediately. She sang a song in that movie that said, I want the world, I want the whole world, And I want it now. We sometimes have that attitude. Craving, isn't it? A characteristic of craving after the things that we don't have. And as soon as he was able to provide for that which she wanted, it wasn't enough. She wanted more. She wanted something different. Don't we find this this temptation within ourselves? To yearn and to crave after things which God has not provided for us which He has not promised for us. We're craving after other things. So what do we need then in all of this? What do we need in order for God to be pleased with us? These Israelites received the blessing of God, and yet, with most of them, He was not well pleased. What do we need? Ultimately, what we need is to be faithful. What do you think about that? 
to be faithful. What would it mean for you to be faithful in the morning when you wake up to be faithful to God? When you face temptations, to be faithful to God. When you go through trials that just feel like bitterness in your bones, for you to be faithful in those times. Well, I I hope you're not thinking you can do that. Because we, we have already been found wanting. We have already recognized that Israel's unfaithfulness, we are prone to it all too often. That in our lives, we have failed much more often than we have succeeded. That we have proved to be much more faithless than we have proved to be faithful. We cannot be faithful as we should be. What we need is a faithful Israelite. One who is true And faithful all the days of his life. One who will not sit down with the idols and eat and rise up to play. One who will not take for granted the blessings of God. Not to turn to the right or to the left to other gods. One who will not be an evil thing craver. Who will not have that yearning after the things that God has not promised or provided. And you've guessed that this is Christ He is the true Israelite that we need. He was born in the the lineage of David. He ultimately responded to the blessings of God and the trials of this life in the way that the Israelites should have responded in the wilderness. He endured 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Jesus? As he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness? Don't you think he faced hunger? Don't you think he was tempted to complain? And the devil said, turn this stone into bread. You'll have your fill of food. And yet Jesus responded, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. This is how Israel should have responded. This is how you should have responded to every temptation and trial you faced. He faced the temptation to test God, didn't he? The devil said, throw yourself down from this height and see the angels will come and rescue you. For God will give command over his angels that you will not be harmed. And Jesus responded, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He faced the temptation to worship someone other than God, to go after and to desire evil things. The devil said, bow down and worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Pure faithfulness on the part of Christ. He passed the test. He earned the blessing of God. But instead of receiving the reward, he suffered instead. He suffered as he was brutally beaten, as he had nails driven through his hands and his feet, as he was crucified, humiliated before men. And he did it for the sake of his people. He laid down his life for the sins of his people. We cannot pass the test in and of ourselves. We need another. And we need the faithfulness of another to be put into our account. 
to be credited to us. And it is given to all who will come to him in repentance and faith, turning away from your sin and clinging in faith to Jesus Christ. So we have no fear of being laid low in the wilderness like the Israelites if we cling to him in faith because he was laid low for us. He passed the test and he took our sin upon himself. And now for all who come to him in faith, he puts his spirit within us so that we might begin the baby steps of faithfulness here and now so that we can choose the good so that we can begin ever Ever how weakly, ever how small our steps are, by His Spirit and by His grace, we can begin making progress in the Christian life. Turning away from false gods. Turning away from idolatry. Turning away from sexual immorality. Not complaining, but being content with what God has given us and where He has placed us in life. For He hasn't simply saved us and left us to ourselves. He is with us. He is guiding us. He is sustaining us. And although we have been faithless throughout our lives, He still proves Himself faithful over and over and over again. Amen? Amen. Let's praise God for His faithfulness. Let us pray.